electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Check out shares of Snap. The stock was up double digits after its earnings report moments ago, but giving up those gains. A conference call kicking off right now. We will bring you the very latest. Plus, the market closing at record highs today, but Wall Street's biggest bear says the gains are in for the year. Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey will be here to explain. And that's where we start with the market rally that no one can seem to touch. Not the Fed, not trade wars. Now fears of an earnings recession are being washed away. The S&P 500 closing at its highest level since September 20th. The Nasdaq joining in on the action also closing at a record high. And the market has been on what it seems like an unstoppable run off the December low. So is the party just beginning? What can you still buy? Guy. First of all, I love that song. It's like, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. <laughs> Makes me want Did to get out of Do you have a pair of the MC Hammer pants? Is that he's wearing them now. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, it's the Hammer, cameras right? can only Hammer, see Hammer every time. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's yeah. like it's, it's like 90s-ish, is that right? I think it is. What can you still 19, buy? Well, clearly 18. you can't go to Blockbuster or Tower Record and buy that album, although I did back in the day. But what you can still buy, in my opinion, is healthcare. You look at Eli Lilly's going from 132 down to 117. They report on April 30th. Pfizer from 44 to 39. Merck, same way. You've seen a bounce in UNH. I think healthcare has been taken to the woodshed on the back of a lot of rhetoric that I think will go away. Some of these tech names, crazy. Xilinx reports tomorrow. They better crush because this stock has gone from basically 90 to 137 in a straight line. So I'd be a little leery there. However, I do think healthcare has been beaten up for the wrong reasons. You know, guys, some might say that this market is too legit to quick. You know, can't touch this was late 80s, not 90s. Oh, Here's the thing, okay, and this is going to go back to these mega caps. Obviously, there's been some great rotation. There's been some of these groups that we did not expect to kind of power us back to the prior highs have done it. I got to tell you, though, you got to go look at the Apple the Google and the Amazon, and I'm just forget the ammo MAGA, okay, because Microsoft has already made those highs. You know, you have these stocks that have already come back 40, 45 percent, I think Amazon and Apple, and you have to ask yourself after a 24 percent reversal, V reversal in the S&P 500, what is the thing that catapults us above those prior highs in a meaningful manner? And, and I'm just telling you, when you look at Amazon and Apple, they still have some room to get back to their prior highs, so I just don't th- see that as the thing, the catalyst to take us further. We're we're going to get Google on Monday. We're going to get Apple on Tuesday. I think those are going to be really important dates for this market high. Well, if you get if you get decent earnings and you get sentiment in general, you look at something like the City Economic Surprise Index. That is at all-time low. So sentiment, what people are expecting out of this market are very low. I can come up with a bunch of different scenarios, oil, dollar, all these things that are headwinds. But the bottom line is the market just doesn't care. It just keeps going up. So maybe this is a blow-off top. Maybe this is a melt-up, whatever term you want to use. But I'd much rather be selling into the strength and trying to initiate a new position here. I agree. I mean, I, you know, my long bias, it's always how I'm going to be positioned, but I feel like some of these names have run up a lot. Uh, Alphabet, my biggest position, I actually sold some upside calls today. I just, it's run a lot. It actually did touch an all-time high today and then fell off a few points. It closed a few points below that. 
I, you know, I probably would look to sell some other calls and other things, even something like J.P. Morgan, although the, call, the upside calls don't really have a lot of juice in them. But I just I feel like I'm not surprised that the first quarter was decent for companies, you know, I, but I feel like any sort of um, expectation that earnings would would disappoint is kind of out of the market now. And in fact, so as the bar gets higher, even if you report good earnings, it's hard to beat. So. I'm inclined to sort of uh, be selling some upside calls against things. I have a question. I like right. what she wants about, to do. When we talk about uh, the run, um, you know, overdone run, you know, it's, it's come a long way. Are we talking about some December lows? Because some could argue that we should have never gone down to the December lows. But even take point. it, so even take you, it from you, January yeah. 1, we're up 17%. That's a good year. Well, January 1 wasn't much off the December lows. That's true. December All right. But still, I mean, we're 23% off the December lows. I don't know. I just think up 17% for a year is a good year in anybody's book. So I, I think Mel maybe makes, it goes higher. Mel makes a good point. When you think about the start of January in 2018, we had this market that was just on a runaway. Remember we were talking about in the third week of January 2018, up 7%, 8%. Yeah. Can this continue to go here? We had a 12% correction, then we had a 20% correction. Now we're back at those levels here. And you say to yourself, is this where we were supposed to be with those tax cuts, with all this pro-growth right. sort of stuff? And are we set for another leg of this bull market? I think that's really your question. If that is your belief, then you do want to rotate into some things like bank stocks. I know you guys have been all over that. I think some of them did pretty well after their Q1 results. Some are kind of stuck in the mud. But if you think that Larry, like, uh, Larry Fink from BlackRock said last week, melt we're going to have up. a melt-up, then these banks will start to participate. Obviously, the yield curve is pretty important here. It's still flat-ish. It doesn't really move from this mid-15, uh, 16 uh, basis point sort of level, and that could become a headwind. But that would be the one area where I'd say, if you're in that camp, right. that's where you go. I mean, I asked this because if you take a look at what brought us to the December lows, there are a lot of concerns that seem to have been resolved, right? We had the Fed pivot. We have now growth evidence in China and around the world. We thought everything was going to grind to a halt. It has not. So if we back to those levels and we're right. just above those we levels, extend, where are we can now? We extend? So Europe is less bad than it less was. Bad. The rate China's of change is getting better, bad. but it's still miserable. Mm-hmm. Chinese have thrown a ridiculous amount of money at their economy. I think their stock market's up 30 4% or so from that low that they made. It's interesting, quickly, you know, January 2nd was a very fascinating show. We did a two-hour show, and Dan Nathan, everybody, you know, bear, always bear. He's not always bearish. Actually, on that day, he said, if you recall, this sets up really well for the bulls into earnings because of the huge sell-off right. we've had, and we've lowered the bar. And he's been exactly right. So he talks about the bar being raised now. I think you should listen to him, number one. Number two, you're right. We are back where we were basically in September. The move from March to September in the S&P was from 2,600 to 2,900 in a straight line. We're right back there now. So effectively, we were where we were in the fall. I still think, you know, earnings are great. Earnings aren't great. Earnings are fine, right? I think that's really the people are looking for a reason to get along this market. And they think the Fed has their back. I'm not confident of that. But what I will say in terms of what you can still buy, defense stocks specifically. Look at Lockheed Martin today. Huge move to the upside. Have I missed it? No, you haven't missed it. There's probably still another 10 to 15 percent to get us back to where we were in the aforementioned uh, fall. Why don't we want to buy technology? The market leader at this point. I mean, in the, at this yeah. point, don't you want to buy well, the areas no, I mean, of growth that are? When you say technology, though, what, what do you mean? I mean, S and P five hundred, S and P five hundred technology sector. Let's start from with that. You know, because there are a lot of people out there who are exposed through an ETF or anywhere else you want to go. Anywhere that has sort of this notion of idiosyncratic growth. 
in an well, environment where growth See, those are the names that I would stick, stick, stay away from, right? Because if we're starting to see growth throughout the world come back, you don't necessarily need that idiosyncratic growth anymore. You need, com- you need companies that are going to be exposed to the global growth, companies that are exposed to the cyclical upturn, so you might see a rotation. That's what we've seen a lot of this. Even near the lows and when the economy, everybody thought the economy was going to recession, you saw a bid in Apple and some of these names because they had that idiosyncratic growth. So I, I think here you sell those, and if you really want to be long, maybe you do yes. buy some of the banks, something like that. But, Mel, this goes back to that January 2nd. What happened that day? Apple told us that their earnings were going to be down, that this mm-hmm. is going to be the first year in many that their earnings and sales were going to be flat um, you know, to down year over year. We know that it's the third consecutive year that their units of their iPhone, that they get two-thirds of their sales. My point then was that coming into the year after the sell-off that we've had with expectations in November and December coming down massively for the first half of 2019, that sets up really well as it relative to expectations. But it's also really important to remember, as we're focused now on earnings guidance going forward, that Apple told us that China was bad. I mean, this was in the throes of this kind of recessionary period. So maybe we were way too negative back then, and maybe we're way too positive right now. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. and let's think about the earnings that we have so far. And granted, it's early in the earnings season, but what are we learning about the U.S. consumers so far in companies? We're learning that companies are able to raise prices, Mm -hmm. right? Procter & Gamble, raising prices. Coca-Cola, raising prices. CSX, raising prices. Aren't these all good things? So there may be growth may be challenged. You may perceive growth to be challenged, but companies are, are better equipped to handle this. Yeah, I, I mean, I like today that there was broad beats in different sectors. Right. So that was interesting. However, at some point that's priced in. And I'm starting to think it's getting to that point where it is priced in, which doesn't mean I'd be like a wholesale seller of the whole portfolio. It just means I'm probably not initiating new positions and I'm taking some money off the table. And in terms of the idiosyncratic ones, those are priced so expensively. Some of the huge growthy stories. I mean, something like a Zoom, you know, uh, I just could never get my arms around that kind of valuation. Uh, I'd much rather be in something way more value-oriented. Don't you think right. it's a little coincident, though, that we're literally on the heels uh, or on the cusp of a $100 billion market cap of Uber coming to market? You just mentioned Zoom. We have Pinterest. We have Lyft. We have all these deals that are coming at a time now. We're back to these prior highs where valuation will become a concern. So some of those names that we just talked about, those old mega caps on a on a relative basis, they actually yes. may look attractive. You know what I mean? So, so to me, I actually think the Uber deal, when this thing comes in the next few weeks, is going to be a very important test for this market, especially when you consider how many tens of billions of new issues have just come and how many are expected to come after Uber at a time where investors are all of a sudden really, really complacent. To me, I think a there's test a test in what way? What a, are you a, a, te- for? a test of how how what sort of hands are holding these sorts of things, right? We saw Apple go from 230 down to what, 140 or something like that in three months. I mean, so if you don't think that Uber could lose 50% of its market value at some point in 2019, So if Uber traded like Lyft, let me ask you, if Uber traded like Lyft, what does it tell you about the market? I think that'd be a real problem. I I just do, you know, And, and those are losses that people have to kind of digest here and now. Well, despite what has been an epic rally for stocks, Wall Street's biggest bear says the gains are in for the year. Let's bring in Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Welcome back, Chris. Good to see you. So what do you do? You you sell and you go away and say, thank you. See you next year. Uh, no, no, you don't do that. And, and we, we don't think the gains are in for the year. We, what we think is we came in a little bit too cautious. Uh, we think uh, fair value is about twenty nine hundred. We could go a little bit higher from here. But 
you do have to, what you were saying before, I think that's right. There has to be a rotation. What we're beginning to see is this reinflation trade. You want to start to shift back to value, to things that haven't worked. The financial, we just upgraded the financials a couple days ago. We think that works going forward. If you look at Germany, rates have gone from negative to positive. That's something they haven't done in a while. And, and China is coming back online. Trading tariff is going to happen shortly. So you want that cyclical exposure. You want those, those industrials. You want those cap good names. Um, as far as technology, we, we were positive on semis. Now we're t- saying, hey, they're up 15% since we upgraded. You know, it's time to take a breather, time to shift around, time to move the portfolio. But we still think there's opportunity in, in the marketplace. If you think that things are not as bad in China and turning around or not as bad in Europe right. and turning around, would you allocate to those countries as opposed oh. to the U.S.? And, and that's why we're, we've been very positive on the cap goods space. We want exposure to that international trade. We are in China a couple weeks ago, and what... what clients and what investors are t- saying to us is the economy is a lot stronger than you think and we started to see those economic numbers come out and again if we get trade and tariff done in another couple months china's really back online i'm skating in bk's lane here but u.s dollar you have this stealth rally in the dollar every time yeah. i turn around you know headwind u.s dollar strength headwind doesn't yeah. seem to be a headwind now when has it become one uh, that's a good question I, I don't know the answer to that but we've been able to mitigate through you know getting back to earnings season what are we seeing we're seeing that costs are now being mitigated. We are getting price, right? The economy is okay. As we get price, demand's not going away. And so we're able to mitigate a lot of these things. I can't tell you when the dollar starts to come back in, but if, if global economies start to firm up, you should start to see the dollar weaken at some point. So in your analysis of we're in the, this is the top ish for the year, do you include the Fed being back in the picture at all? Do you? No, I, I don't think the Fed gets back in the picture. I think the next move for the Fed is, I don't think the Fed does anything for the rest of the year. I think they're done at this point in time. They've done enough. It's time for them to move this to sidelines. I think they're okay being there. The economy's in good shape. Uh, monetary policy, while I'm not happy the way we got here, is okay. We've re- reset things. And as we go forward, there's not that much speculation. What we heard from earnings season is we haven't re-risked. Investors really haven't re-risked at this point in time. So, Chris, I, you know, to Dan said people are complacent. What, what, is, what worries you out there? What can derail this thing? I mean, are we just in a melt-up type of thing? I, well, first off, I wouldn't say people are complacent. People are still very concerned, and people just haven't re-risked. As I talk to clients, they don't have enough risk in their portfolio. What I would say is what worries me, what, what has worried me, what continues to worry, worry me is the front end of the yield curve. The yield curve has flattened, right? We all know that. If the yield curve continues to flatten, then we have a problem because the issue is perception can become reality. I don't think that occurs, but that's the thing that worries me more than anything else. When you say re-risk, do you just mean equity allocation? Uh, equity in allocation, risk in the portfolio, uh, right across leverage. We're, we're not seeing a whole lot of leverage in the system at this point in time. And so really right across the board, we have not seen this big re-risk. You sound like the highs or near highs are not in for the, I mean, if you're saying 2,900 or maybe a little so, more, we're 2,933 right so now. So our, our other risk uh-huh. is, as, as BK said before, you could see a melt up, right? So rates are low, credit spreads are tight, people haven't re-risked, China's coming back online, and sentiment has reset. That, that's a risk as well. So I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence, but we see issues, and I think you can see some upside. Things are Things aren't bad out there. You sound more bullish. Than, you sound more bullish than neutral right now. <laughs> not really, seriously, it sounds like you're on the cusp of raising your price target, and you haven't announced it yet. <laughs> and then immediately no saying it's too hot. <laughs> 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 
All right, so just let's button it up. Your number one sector right now that you think people should be in. Uh, financials. So we, we like, we right. just upgraded diversified financials, the broker dealers, asset managers, uh, some of the credit card makers, uh, so some of the credit card companies, not makers. Okay. Thank you. Chris, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Chris Harvey. All right. Where do we go from here, Dan? I think it's still important to remember that that whole laundry list of concerns in Q4 of, you know, other than the Fed, um, not many of them have really abated. And we still have, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten trillion dollars of sovereign debt that have negative yields. What does that tell you about the health of the global economy? We've had um, numerous global organizations lower global growth expectations for 2019. So, you know, to me, I, I feel like we're back at these highs. Have a party, people. It's amazing. You know, we've done this now three times in 18 months. It's a great thing. But just remember, the last two times we were here, we had some very sharp sell-offs, and people make bad decisions after bad decision. Buying highs and selling lows. So, uh, that, and that's exactly the point. It doesn't have to be a binary event, right? It doesn't mean that you have to go all in at the highs or sell your entire portfolio. There's nothing wrong with doing what Karen does, sell some upside calls, take off a third or a quarter of your position, take off some of the names that actually have gone up 15, 20, 30%, like the semis. There's nothing wrong with taking a little off the table, maybe rotating any health care. I think that's the better move here. I, to me, what everybody's saying is that this is just a trickier market than it was when we were at the lows and the sentiment was horrible. It's just the deep end of the pool here. All right. Coming up, check out shares of Snap taking a turn for the worst after hours, giving up most of its gains. The CEO speaking on the conference call right now. We will bring you the very latest. Plus, Amazon making a deal with Kohl's, sending the retailer soaring today. Could the online behemoth be turning into a lifeline for department stores? We will explain. And later, it's the 5G phenomenon as networks race to get up to speed, and it could be about to send one group of stocks soaring top panels to tell you who the big winners are. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on eBay. That stock up nearly 4% after beating the street's expectations. Uh, this company also saying global active users rose 4% to $180 million during the first quarter. Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, this is actually a growth story. Earnings per share expected to grow 15% year over year, trading at less than 14 times. Good balance sheet. We know there's a couple activists there. Um, you know, to me, as Amazon flexes its muscles in e-commerce, I think the whole marketplace thing is something that's kind of being left for dead. And that's something that I think that eBay is obviously pretty well tuned to deal with. Yeah, I like eBay. I actually followed the activists in. There happened to coincidentally be two, but it was really uh, it was really Elliot. And actually, they're on the board now. I think it's not that's great that that things are you know the earnings are good. It's really about what are we going to see from the asset, either sales or spin or something. I'm still in it here, hanging on. Real quick, quickly, operating margins, almost 30%. Street was looking for, I think, 28 29%. That's a really good number. And I think to Dan's point, it's a valuation play. The stock is. Stock is cheap, and it's had a huge sell-off. It's had a nice bounce back, but I still think there's further room to the upside. So I think eBay, despite the move in the aftermarket, I think it's okay here. All right. Speaking of Amazon, uh, check out shares of Kohl's soaring almost 12% today after announcing it will start accepting returns for items purchased on Amazon 
at all of its U.S. stores in July. Kohl's first started testing this in its Los Angeles and Chicago stores back in 2017. Since then, sales growth in Chicago doubled uh, the rest of the country, while new customers blew the rest of the country's stores out of the water. Jeffrey's analyst Randall Connick weighed in on the news, writing, growth in this partnership illustrates to us that stores are needed even as online shopping becomes increasingly pervasive. Which begs the question, if online giants like Amazon are realizing that they need traditional bricks and mortar for their business, does that mean that retailers could be more valuable in the marketplace? Bricks and mortar retailers and mortar, more valuable. Because, in the- because if Amazon is converging to Walmart, value, does a valuation of Walmart come up? I mean, we talked about the Whole Foods deal a couple of years ago. Now mm-hmm. it seemed like, where are they doing there? Now it starts to make a lot of sense. You look at Kohl's, I mean, 12 and a half, 13 times forward earnings. I guess it's not that cheap. It's not that expensive either. Probably right in the middle. But 20% short interest. Everybody's been betting against this stock. It's up 11% today. To your point, this probably has room to the upside as well. So you're probably going to retest levels you last saw last summer, which I think is north of 80 bucks. From October 7, 2017 to July 2017 at Kohl's, traffic at those experimental stores where they were taking Amazon returns was up 13.5%. Yeah. 13.5%. And they had, and they had great the sales. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a brilliant idea, an incredibly creative idea for Kohl's to do this. But also, remember, it's a great idea for Amazon. They get a bricks-and-mortar store without having to buy it. I mean, we know that they, when they bought Whole Foods, part of it was like kind of like they have a distribution center. Well, now they've got a return center that they didn't have to buy. So I think it helps Amazon. To your point about the earnings, though, it's hard to compare Amazon's rating or P.E. ratio with anything else because, remember, Amazon has Amazon Web Services. There's a lot more pieces there. even if you backed out all the other pieces, I would imagine that even core Amazon retail, its valuation would be higher than a lot of the other bricks-and-mortar retailers, no matter what it no is. Matter what. No matter what it is. Yeah, I don't know why. Yes, I right? think that I is mean, true. So right. is this a way for bricks-and-mortar retail? I mean, everybody's saying this is, or has said in the past, that it's a retail play, right? right. So in Kohl's, for instance, they didn't have to build out a new area. They use their existing right. infrastructure. They're just further leveraging what they have uh-huh. to increase sales. But uh, well, you brought up Walmart. Target is doing it as well. Yeah, having yeah. their stores mm-hmm. be not just a store, but also a distribution center as well. I mean, Mace is trying to do the same thing. It's not working as well. I, I, I like Target of the bunch of them. I don't, I, I, it also makes me wonder, God, JWN Nordstrom is just trading terribly. I know it's a different shopper, but that's trading at a ridiculously well, cheap. Well, maybe they can form. do maybe a, they a can partnership. So, yeah. like so, a well, so what I would just say, I, Mel, but that's a really good point. I think the problem is, and we've been saying this for a long time, there's too many department stores. We're overstored here. So some of these brands make sense. It made sense for Amazon targeting the certain customer who wants to buy online and return things to partner with a, a Kohl's. It may not make sense to partner with somebody like Macy's. I'll just go back to, think about some of the deals we've seen. Walmart bought Jet for $3.2 billion to kind of build out their online sales channel and kind of do all these sorts of things that are going to go on here. We've seen Target do that deal with Casper. You just had the CEO on last week. They're putting beds in stock. You can return them. You know, all these things are all going to happen. Warby Parker, all these new models. I think you're going to see a lot of M&A for a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands, um, you know, over the next few years because I think you need an omni-channel strategy. That's why Macy's spent years and multiple restructurings trying to do it. I don't know if they're doing it well, but they may be left holding the bag because because they think that they have the proper omni-channel strategy. All right. For more on what Amazon's new partnership with Kohl's could mean for the rest of the space, head on over to CNBC.com. Still ahead, check out shares of Snap giving up a big after-hours rally. We'll tell you what the CEO said on the call that sent shareholders running. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Much more Fast Money coming up next.
Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We got an earnings alert on Snap, the stock giving up uh, an after hours rally. Let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles for the details. Julia. Melissa, the earnings calls underway right now. CEO Evan Spiegel talking about Snap's changes, including more content, lenses, and a self service ad platform, saying that these changes not only helped it this quarter, but also laid the groundwork for more growth. While these early results are promising, Improvements in performance and new user retention will take time to compound and meaningfully impact our top-line metrics. There are billions of Android devices in the world that now have access to an improved Snapchat experience, and we look forward to being able to grow our Snapchat community in new markets. Spiegel stressing Snap's unusual reach among valuable demographics, saying Snap ads can now reach more 13 to 34-year-olds than Instagram can in the U.S., now, with growing engagement across content in Discover and also its augmented reality filters, saying that that translates into ad dollars. We have also seen that our growing reach and engagement among millennials and Gen Z is an important differentiator in the marketplace. These generations are unprecedented in size and spending power, are still in the process of developing their brand loyalties, and are difficult to engage on other platforms or with traditional advertising formats. Spiegel also mentioning the potential opportunities to use augmented reality in new ways, including for shopping. That sounds like it could be valuable for advertisers. Now, of course, there's another social stock soaring today, also on better than expected results. Twitter shares gaining over 15 percent, over 15 and a half percent after this morning's earnings, which beat expectations. Also reporting stronger than expected daily user growth like Snap. Twitter showing that changes to its platform are working, including making Twitter more user-friendly, um, all of that paying off. Now, it was a busy day for Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. He met with the president of the United States. Um, Twitter releasing a statement saying that Jack had a constructive meeting with the president at his invitation, and they discussed Twitter's commitment to protecting the health of the public conversation ahead of the 2020 U.S. elections and efforts underway to respond to the opioid crisis. So certainly a busy day for Twitter. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. What are we, I mean, Snap up 120% or so, so far this year alone yeah. uh, versus a, a Twitter. I think you go Twitter. I mean, I don't think you have to buy it tomorrow, but if you look at what they're doing, what they're doing is working, and it's all about network effect. We're seeing their daily average users increase. That's what these entire things are valued off of. So given the two, I would, I would sell my Snap and buy some Twitter. 
Dan? Um, I think it's what Julia said is really important. Well, what Evan Spiegel said about that demographic. And, you know, when you think about it, Snap is only expected to have one and a half billion dollars in sales. It's a rounding error on Facebook's 70 billion, which is largely, um, you know, advertising. So to me, I still think Snap down 30 percent from its IPO price two years ago. I think we're going to look back at someday and say, yes, this was a very unique social property and it's going to be valued at much more, but up 120 percent. You know, I think the stock is lucky to be unchanged right here because there was a lot of high expectations exactly. heading into the print. Yeah. I mean, the Android reboot was very important. This is a, stealth, a whole new. This is a stealth. Group. Would you rather? Right. I mean, because uh, Twitter snap and I'll take right. the other side. Well, of BK's. Hold on. You've been all over Twitter. And we got to give you a lot of credit. You've been no, steadfast in that thing. You have. been. Well, I appreciate oh. that. It's, it's nice. We've <laughs> actually what, one of the things we said was when Twitter took their medicine a couple quarters yep. ago and said, hey, this daily active user stuff's not for us anymore. Yeah. They finally bit the bullet. And we said, you know, the move down to 30, 30 and a half, that's going to be it. You're going to regret not buying it here. That proved to be correct. In terms of Snap, though, it's a North America story without question. You just look at the numbers. ARPU. Average mm-hmm. revenue per user. Thank you. In North America, crushed. $2.81. The street was at 250 But the rest of the world, not so good. ARPU's not good. Revenue's not good. If they could ever figure out how to get Europe, which is they break out, and rest of the world, which they break out, this thing is a monster because, quite frankly, this was a really good quarter. So I think you could stay with Snap here. Well, once they get Android, I mean, Android is going to be very key in terms of the international growth. That's, that's why so. I brought it up. What is the read-through to Facebook tomorrow? Uh, that was, I, w- I was going to ask Dan that, actually. So oh, Facebook really? wow. have a tiny bit in the aftermarket. Do you think... Even his comments of, uh, uh, regarding Instagrams. You yeah, know, uh, listen, I, I think Facebook's Facebook totally fine. I think we had Roger McNamee on last night. We were discussing this. I think Facebook's a great example for a company where earnings expectations year over year in 2019 are supposed to be flat, okay? Flat. While sales are supposed to be up 24%, I think you're going to probably see a re rating in their EPS uh-huh. for 2019 and the stock probably moves higher. Are you worried about Instagram based on what Snap said? No, not really. I feel like the pie is growing, not that the share is shifting. So I am long, uh, you know, a little nervous about tomorrow. I always am. Okay. Uh, let's get a, a check on another earnings mover here as we had to break. Texas Instruments seeing a huge reversal after hours. I'll tell you what is behind that move. Shares are down 2% now, plus the S&P 500 back at record highs. Despite the rally, a handful of stocks are still singing the bear market blues. Should you play any of them for a catch-up? The traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, closing at a record high today. But despite the rally, a number of big names are still stuck in bear market, down more than 20 percent from their highs. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break this all down. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, you can't have all winners. 90 percent of the S&P 500 is up this year, but about 10 percent, 50 names are still down, even with this big rally. But a surprisingly large number are actually significantly off their 52-week highs. So take a look here. Game maker Activision Blizzard has seen sharp declines in some of its key games, while its blockbuster game Call of Duty has seen flattish sales. Hey, that's a big problem, though it is expanding across mobile platforms and in China. Biogen's down 40% from its old highs. The stock plunged late last month following the decision to end a late-stage study of an Alzheimer's treatment that did not produce the desired results. By the way, they report tomorrow. General Electric, you know this story, gave weaker-than-expected 2019 guidance. That was back in March. They mentioned a challenging year ahead. American Airlines has been dealing with extended cancellation of flights involving Boeing's 737 MAX jet and Federal Express. Well, you know what happened there. They dropped 30% in December. They got killed on concerns of global growth slowdowns. 
And then they proceeded to miss earnings when it reported last month. So there's a lot of fundamental reasons these stocks are, are weak, individual stock stories. Elsewhere, other names that are off more than 30% for their 52-week high. Look at the big energy names, Halliburton and Schlumberger. They still haven't recovered. And even big retail names like Macy's and Nordstrom and L Brands, there's definitely some damage still out there. Melissa, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Bassani at the NYSE. So are any of these names... Uh, buy at this point. Bob gave you a plethora of names. So I got to go from Bob's list. So it means I had to be paying attention to Bob, uh, and I was. <laughs> so I look at this and say, all right, Biogen is Biogen just? It's a non-entity now. No, Biogen's more than just that Alzheimer's project. I get it. Alzheimer's the holy grail. Nobody's figured it out out there, and clearly Biogen has an either. They report tomorrow after the bell. Whatever forward-looking guidance is going to be critical. But there is M&A in their future. I absolutely believe that, and I think at two hundred thirty dollars, the stock on value is just too cheap. Now, that being said, not only did they do it to themselves with the Alzheimer's project, obviously healthcare in general has been getting bludgeoned. So the stock has not bounced, but I think Biogen out of all the names he picked is the most interesting. Karen, what do you yes, say? Yes, FedEx for me is the most attractive on that list. I mean, I think that, you know, they, they've twice announced disappointing earnings. And yet the last time they announced disappointing earnings, the stock is actually much higher from there. I think if they were to fix TNT Express, which has really been a disastrous acquisition for them, if they get any traction there, this goes back to a prior multiple that it had that is well above the multiple that it's trading at now. So FedEx is, to me, the most attractive of the bunch. So, Karen, you know, the, on valuation of all the names, I think it's probably the most attractive. And it's obviously you know, got, it's, this is an example of a company. It's not just TNT. I mean, they're facing some kind of headwinds here. That dollar situation is, is, is an issue, too. Um, you know, the fact that the stock's up 15% since it reported in March, disappointing earnings, tells you that there's risk to the downside here because there's probably one more guy down, in my opinion, when you think about it. So, um, yes, it's cheap, and, and they're, they're trying to deal with some of these internal things and the external headwinds. But I don't know what, like, why you buy this thing, given the guidance that they just gave. So it's a value I think it's a trade. No, which but, is, see, I, but this yeah. is really a value yes. trade or value trap yes. sort of game, right? right? Which because one is that? Is that when the duck flies one? But, no. but, but, Karen, but, but it's also a matter. I, I the market a, is much higher, I, I, right? I, so it's not just that FedEx is higher. But my point is it's a matter of time horizon. I really do believe that. I think the stock could come back, you know, a little bit before that next report. Which one do you see as a value here? You know what? It's, you're, I don't know if you're going to call it a value, but Activision Blizzard, ATVI, that one I like the best because you look you look at what's going on in this industry. We know that it is a it's like a movie studio now, right? You're only as good as your last product, your your last movie that you put out there, the last game that you put out. But I don't. I think that's all into the stock here. I don't think Bobby Kotick, the CEO, is going to take this uh, laying down. So that's the one I like. All right. Coming up, Texas Instruments seeing a huge reversal after hours as the company gives a grim outlook for the chip space. We've got the details next. Plus, Tesla spiraling as it gears up to report earnings this week. And one trader bet the stock is about to plunge more than 50 percent. We'll tell you what has them so bearish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Texas Instruments seeing a big reversal after hours. Josh Lipton's got the details. Josh. Melissa, and on that call, uh, executives really talked about weakness in demand across almost all markets, that analog revenue declined 2%, embedded processing revenue, that was under pressure as well. So when could a turn come? The company's CFO here offering history as a potential guide. Take a listen. We believe that after 10 quarters of year-on-year growth, the weakness we are seeing is primarily due to the semiconductor cycle. 
We have just completed our second quarter of year-on-year decline for TI. If you look at history, cycles are always different, but typically the industry would have four to five quarters of year-on-year declines before year-on-year growth resumes. We're not trying to forecast a cycle, but simply offer some historical perspective. So the CFO there, Melissa, trying to offer a potential timetable for when a turn comes. We should mention communications equipment grew about 30 percent, benefiting from 5G, the company said. So is TI a smart way to play a 5G rollout? I caught up with Hans Mosesman from Rosenblatt. He says he called maybe a reasonable way. There is an opportunity there, there for the company, he says. But remember, the focus for TI, it's autos, it's industrials. And that 5G under that communications equipment umbrella, really not, at least right now, a strategic area focus focus for the company. Melissa, back to you. Josh, you know, if management talked about the demand weakness, they even mentioned that uh, demand weakness has started in the second half of last year, continued into the first quarter of this year. Do they comment on how that's progressed since then? No, they, ju- they did say the weakness uh, continued. And as you heard the CFO there, obviously, analysts on the call are trying to get some gauge about when a turn comes. Um, and you heard the CFO use um, maybe history as a potential timetable there, uh, saying two quarters, four by history's guide. We'll see how that works out. Yep. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Dan? Yeah, so the CFO said four to five is the typical uh, revenue decline consecutive quarters down. I think street estimates, if you look at the Q4, is for up 1% year over year. So if the street has to come down a little bit, here's a stock trading 23 times this year. It's probably a little expensive relative to some of its peers in the S&P. Here you go. Operating profits, analog down 7% year over year. That's their big one, right? And he mentioned, Joshman, embedded processing down 24% year over year. That's pretty significant numbers. And at 21 times forward earnings, it's not cheap. And when you do the show for a long time, I looked at Dan. I said, Dan, do you see what I see in Texan? He goes, a massive double top from last June. I'm like, spot on. So you armchair technicians out there, take a look at that sucker as well. You looked across the desk into Dan's eyes. Their eyes, eyes. Yeah. That's not yeah. what I said. Yeah. That's not what I said. I didn't say anything about eyes. Top. I said, Dan, do you see what I see in Texan? And what did Dan say? He said, I see a double top. That's the way top. I heard the situation. Dan knows a, spark Dan knows a lot. I, I thought you looked into his eyes. Anyway, speaking of the 5G rollout, Josh had mentioned that as being one area of strength for TI. One analyst says chip stocks may be the best way to play the growing phenomenon. Mitch Steves of RBC Capital Markets joins us now. Uh, Mitch, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. As Josh had mentioned, you know, a lot of companies have some exposure to to 5G, like a Texas Instruments, but may not be um, very concentrated or very strong in those areas. So how how should we think about the space in terms of chip company exposure to 5G? Yeah, so I'd break down the 5G exposure into two segments. The first side would be like the broad-based 5G. So that'd be Xilinx, which is probably the most well-known. They probably have about 20% of the revenues being exposed to 5G. The second one is probably the least well-known of the group is probably analog devices. About 12 to 12.5% of the of their business is going to be 5G, and they've effectively got a near monopoly on it. Uh, essentially, they're going to be in the top five players, ZTE, Huawei, Samsung, Nokia, and Ericsson. And all that, you're going to see the radio content go up by something like 4X. Um, and then secondly, in the other group, I would call the smartphone side. You would essentially have Broadcom, Skyworks, and uh, uh, Corvo. 
But the problem there is you don't really know who's going to win. Uh, so right now you're pretty much looking at more of the data center side, which would again be Xilinx and ADI, perhaps some Marvell as well, because they're starting to win some share. And then the last one, which is probably the least well known, would be Keys. That is a test and instrumentation company for 5G, but that, that's again not as focused on the data center side. So data centers, the Xilinx side, smartphones yeah. would be Broadcom, and then the test and instrumentation side is Keys. I know you don't cover Xilinx right now, Mitch. So I I don't want to put you in a bad spot, mm-hmm. but I mean, you take a look at the stock and it's up more than 60 percent so far this year. So how much of that is anticipation that it's exposed to 5G? This is going to be the next big play. And we want to be in Xilinx. I think a lot of it's actually in there. So actually, I think the better play is to find the 5G items that people are not aware of. So I think that within my coverage universe, Synopsis and Cadence are two stocks that are rarely talked about, but you quite literally cannot make a 5G chip without them. And those stocks are all still going up 40, 50 percent this year. I think there's a lot more upside for both of them. Uh, the second one uh, would be ADI, because as I mentioned uh, in what TI said, they're seeing better growth out of 5G, but who has the most exposure in 5G within the analog group? And it's ADI uh, by, by a wide margin. So I think those are two or three interesting stocks. And then Xilinx is just the best pure play, mm-hmm. but it's hard to figure out how much is in there considering it's trading at somewhere around 35 times earnings. So Synopsis, ADI, Cadence, um, those make the, the, the parts that go into the chips needed for 5G. Uh, in terms of the other play- players where you say, we don't know who's going to win yet, um, Cisco's, yep. Qualcomm, et cetera. When will we know? When, when is the time to say, you know what, we're on the cusp of knowing and it's time to get in? So you'll know when the phones start coming out, right? So that's why they're, they're, those are the handset exposed ones, Corvo's yeah. and Skyworks, right? Very heavily exposed to Apple, for example. So once you start to get the iFixit build, uh, build out of the mm-hmm. Apple iPhone or the Samsung phones, you'll know which, which tools they're using. And at that point, you'll probably see one of the stocks move pretty dramatically. The problem, though, again, on that side is you're really making a bet today on who's going to win right. versus if you go to something like ADI or, or uh, Cadence and Synopsis, you know you're buying effectively part of the winner no matter what happens. Mitch, great to have you. Thank you. Mitch Steves of RBC. Uh, Guy, you've been a fan of Xilinx for a long time. Mitch says it's already in the stock. What do you say? Mitch might be right. I mean, but I don't think, listen, I mean, at 30, it's, exp- it's a very expensive stock. It's been an expensive stock. Where are we going to be on Thursday, by the way? We're going to be at the CNBC stock draft. Yes. Guy, why do you mention that? Because you, these, a year ago. Because a year you ago. Said somebody should pick Xilinx. I said, I sat next to you and Jim Cramer. I'm I like, know. somebody should take Xilinx, number one. Nobody listens, nobody listens to me. And then I Howard pitched this sucker back in November and said, next year, meaning 2019. Right. And what did you which get? We're Tony now, Braxton. We're going to say, we got Tony Braxton. We got Tony Everybody's going to be talking about 5G now. Everybody's talking about 5G. 5G, and now it's in the stock. I don't know. They report tomorrow. I still think the stock goes higher. I, I mean, the problem with these is you're not Lewis and Clark. You're not discovering, discovering anything new here. I think most of it's in the stock, so I'm a seller of all of them. Cool. Coming up, look at below. Tesla shares down 20% this year, but one trader's betting the stock could plunge another 50% over the next few months. We've got the details. Plus, let's get a check on our Kramer cam, and there's Jim talking to the Hasbro CEO after that stock soared today. Catch that at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in New York City. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla shares spinning out as the company barrels towards its earnings report tomorrow. Traders are betting that the results could have some slamming the brakes. Dan is over at the plaza to break down the options action. Dan. Yeah, so Mel, obviously the stock has been atrocious over the last couple months here, but put volume was one and a half times that of calls today, a day before they report their earnings. The options market is implying 
about an 8.5% move in either direction, or about 22, 23 bucks here. On average, over the last four quarters, the stock has moved about 8%. Last quarter actually did not have much of a big move, but there was one trade in this name that doesn't see usually large block trades that really caught my eye today, looking out to August expiration. When the stock was trading at 263.60, there was a buyer of 2,200 of the August 220, 110 put spreads, paying $13 for that. That breaks even down at 207. And the trader can make up to $97 between 207 and 110. That is a $3 million bearish bet to possibly make $21 million if the stock is down at 110, down almost 60% on August expiration. Let's go to the charts here real quickly. I know that we've been talking about this one a lot. It's been bouncing off of this support a couple times over the last year and a half or so. The thing is obviously getting a lot of tension here down at that 260 level. Um, so obviously a very important support level. Here's the chart since its IPO in 2010 here. We know that that's the support here, but we also know that this was long-term support down in that 150 uh, area for years and years. So obviously this trader making a bet that there is an air pocket down to those prior support levels. Uh, Carter Braxton Worth was on this desk mm. yesterday and talked about Tesla and breaking um, the previous low, which is around 240, 249, 245 yep. or whatever it is. Um, I guess that would clear the way to uh, that 150 support level. Well, it Dan. clearly yeah. clears the way to 170. I'm not suggesting it goes there tomorrow, but sure. the next real level of support through that 249 level is about 175. And Carter, you know, Carter was very confident in his assessment that this time it's not going to hold. So. Kudos to CBW and kudos to Dan Nathan from the risk reversal. I don't know. It traded pretty well today, if you ask me. I mean, I, I think it holds this time. I don't know it if I want it pretty well. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Because, I mean, it's benchmarked. The Nasdaq Composite was up one and a third percent, and, the Nas- and this is up 0.4 percent. Yeah, but it's been down all year, right? So now all of a sudden, it, I mean, I wouldn't compare this to the market whatsoever. It's been down all year. Market's up 17 percent. Bounced off those levels today. closed near the high of the day. It doesn't look that bearish to me. It seems like it's going to hold. BK sounds like he's long. No. No, in fact, I'm not. But I, but I think it's probably not a bad risk right here, right? I mean, you know where your stop-out point is. I guess you have a gap risk on earnings. The 249 level. Yeah, the 249 level. So on a risk-to-reward basis, mm-hmm. we know that this is traded between 250 and 300, 250, 350 for the last several years. I, I don't know. I don't know if it breaks this time. I think it's a good risk to buy it here. All right. For more Options Action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade time, Dan. Yeah, snap. Last night I didn't want to chase it, but if it's down too much, I think you buy it tomorrow. BK. You know, I think you take a little bit off in the semis here. SMH, you sell that one. Karen. Yes, FedEx. I like it even here. But one thing, when earnings come out, don't feel the need to buy them before the call. There's often a lot of interesting, worthwhile information to wait for. That's a more the more you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Finer, print, finer, print. Finer, print. finer points, finer print. print. Yeah. eBay is All higher. Right. But I think it has room to go even higher. All right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. 
Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.